At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Christmas is upon us. It's the time of year when we gather together with family and friends. We exchange presents and enjoy good food. But sometimes we get caught up in the festivities and forget that central to Christmas is celebrating the birth of Christ. God come in the flesh, born as a man to save us from our sins and to bring a kingdom of righteousness and of peace. With me on this edition of the program is Dr. Herschel York, Dean of Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church. We're going to talk about the implications of the Incarnation and what Christ's coming means for the world and those who follow him. Dr. York, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Richard. It is a delight to be with you. I love talking about this. So it's a, a, a great opportunity to get to do exactly that. Me too. And I'm reminded, Herschel, that I need to be on my toes when I'm talking to you about Scripture and about theology, because I'm with the guy who has taught this for several years at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Yeah. How many years have you been teaching there, I've been there 24 years now. Yeah. Okay. okay. I've been there since uh, coming up on 24. 1997, I went there and have really had a wonderful time teaching students and training ministers and missionaries and and those that are serving the Lord, it's just been a real joy. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know you've impacted many lives. So you've been a blessing to Kentucky, uh, not just the churches, but in the public arena as well, Herschel, because I see you as a, as a public pastor, so to speak, because you are willing to step into the legislative arena or into the public arena and other places to bring about Christian principles when it comes to public policy or social issues. And on a personal level, I appreciate that. Well, Thank you. That's very kind of you to say that. You know, uh, first of all, I, I just believe that God's principles are are best. I think they work. Yeah. And uh, to be able to call legislators to that, especially those that themselves profess to be Christian, yeah. uh, I just think that's important uh, to do that. And and I, I want to pray and be cooperative with those that uh, have similar goals and and desires for our commonwealth. And so I'm I'm glad I get to live and pastor in Frankfurt where I can have access to uh, those legislators and uh, the public arena, and I want to use that faithfully for the glory of the Lord. Amen, and I, and I appreciate that. So let's talk about the incarnation. Uh, yeah. Jesus' coming was foretold some 700 years before he was born. Uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, foretold in, in, of his coming in, in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we read this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and the name and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of government of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Amen. That's awesome. That's great. In yeah. fact, that's those words are so inspiring that we have great hymns and carols. You, you can't read those words without hearing Handel's Messiah. Yeah, absolutely, you know, wonderful uh, uh, man. They are incredible. And, you know, the reality is not only was Jesus coming prophesied by Isaiah, say, 800 years before he came uh, or so, but all the way back in the Garden of Eden, yeah. when Adam yeah. and Eve sinned, yeah. God gave what's 
what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion, which was the first announcement of the gospel, that there would come a seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. You see it throughout Genesis. He appears to Abraham and tells him that through his seed, and Paul points out to us that that's a singular, that through his seed that all the world will be blessed. And you, you see glimpses of this messianic prophecy throughout the Old Testament. David, when God tells David his son is going to build the temple, it sounds like he's talking about Solomon, but then he says things that can't be Solomon because he said his his, his throne will be forever. This wow. temple will never be destroyed. But well, we know that temple was destroyed. So God was saying something to David more than merely about his son Solomon building a temple up there on the threshing floor of Arana. He was he was talking about Jesus coming and building his temple, a living temple uh, of which we are, are a part. Uh, through the gospel. So you you have this whole sense of longing throughout all the Old Testament. Jesus is the point of the Old Testament. It's all it's setting us up for his coming and his redemptive work. And all of the Old Testament leans us yeah. to that moment when Jesus comes into the world. The uh, Old Testament has been called a uh, a shadow or a picture of what was coming. That's right. Foreshadowing a picture and, um, and, and we see prophecies as well, several prophecies, prophecies more than just in Isaiah. But I, I, you know offhand, I don't. But how many prophecies uh, roughly were made of Christ's coming in the Old Testament? Uh, or, or not just of his coming, but of, of him and what he would suffer and go through. It's several. Yeah, oh, I mean, depending on how you count and what you count, but I would say that there are hundreds because <laughs> his coming is, for, is prophesied even in type. You, you talk about shadows, uh, and I think that's a good way to describe it. If you see, if you were reading a book and suddenly a shadow on the wall began to appear and to move, what would you do? You'd turn around and look, what's casting that shadow? Where's that shadow coming from? Yeah. You're not interested in the shadow, but the reality that's casting the shadow, and that's what the Old Testament is. So when we see, for instance, the Passover lamb, well, that's just the shadow on the wall. Mm -hmm. It makes us turn to the New Testament. There we see the reality of the Lamb of God who uh, is given uh, so that the death angel might pass. And when we see the high priest entering into the, the most holy place in the Old Testament, that's the shadow. It makes us turn to the redemptive work of Christ where when he sheds his own blood, he enters into the most holy place in heaven mm -hmm. and sprinkles his own blood. So the yeah. so prophecies... Types, shadows, all of those things point us to the work of Christ, especially his incarnation. Herschel, the reason I wanted to point out the numbers of prophecies, and you said probably hundreds in the Old Testament that point to him or mention him, is because these were written by different authors it's in amazing. different time periods, and they all came true. They all came true. And, and this points to the authentic the authenticity of Christ, the, the authenticity, I guess is the right word. Yeah. But of that he really he was prophesied about. God spoke through the prophets and he really did come and was born. There are two things that just make me absolutely believe in the truth of the word of God. One is the fact that these prophecies are given and so specifically fulfilled. Yeah. Two is that these authors in the Bible don't make heroes of themselves. That yeah. The great uh, patriarchs of, of our faith are, are not made the heroes. Abraham, the father of faith, it records his failures. Yeah, Moses, yeah. 
His failures are recorded. David, this past Sunday, I, I preached on the death of David as an as basically a window through which to look at Christmas. Yeah. David's lying there in a bed, decrepit and old, and he, he can't get warm. And yeah. uh, they call for a virgin to to come and lie there in bed with him and warm him. What what a pitiful picture! Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. anything more pitiful than that? And and the fact that as the Bible was written, there's no hagiography of these uh, fathers of the faith. There yeah. we're we're showing them warts yeah. and all. There's only one hero in the Bible, one true hero, and that's Jesus. And the yeah. fact that you've got yeah. centuries of writers who all do that same thing, looking forward to one who's going to come. And he's going to rule in righteousness where mm-hmm. David failed. He's not going to end up old and decrepit. He's going to rise from the dead and ascend to his throne on high. And, and man, what a testimony to the veracity and the trustworthiness of Scripture. Yeah, that's a good word. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Dr. Herschel York, pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church. I'm Richard Nelson with the Commonwealth Policy Center. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a moment. Three, two, Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm here with Herschel York, a pastor of Buck Run Baptist Church and dean of the School of Theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And we're talking about Christmas, the implications of Christ, what it means uh, for us here on earth, what it means for the church. Uh, Dr. York, uh, when Jesus began his ministry, he went into the synagogue and he read from uh, the book of Isaiah. Uh, so we read this in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, but it refers to Isaiah. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, put it, handed it back to the attendant, and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled. <clears throat> In your hearing. Yeah. How audacious is that? Can you imagine? If I got up on Sunday morning and read some prophecy from the Old Testament and said, hey, that's about me, yeah. uh, I would expect the members of Buck Run to either get up and walk out or make me get up and walk out. <laughs> what? How, how crazy are you? Uh, only Jesus is capable of pointing to himself in Scripture. And he, yeah. he says this so matter-of-factly. He reads it, rolls it up, and goes, well, that's been fulfilled today. I'm beginning my ministry, and that's me. You know what's wow. interesting? It, that is wow. And what's fascinating here is that the people said wow. Those, yeah. were the, those who heard these words were, were awed. But he kept talking, and after a while, they got angry with him, and they wanted to drive him out. Uh, so, uh, Herschel, this is, this is Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, born in the flesh, uh, we're about to celebrate Christmas shortly, and I, I wanted to go to this passage because it speaks to his ministry, kicking off his ministry. But in our day and age, I think we keep Jesus in the manger, <laughs> gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and and that is something to be to worthy of being in awe of. But we forget his ministry, what he came to do. Yes, the incarnation was an absolute miracle. It was absolutely awesome what happened. Born of a virgin, born to humble parents, but he came to make right the things that were wrong in the world. And this is what Luke four eighteen through nineteen says that he came to proclaim the good news to the poor 
to proclaim liberty to the captives, to heal the blind, set at liberty to those who are oppressed. I mean, he actually had a healing ministry. That's right. The Christmas is just the beginning of the the story of yeah. Jesus and what he did. I mean, there's a sense in which the Old Testament is the beginning, but I hope you understand what I mean. His actual arrival is just the beginning. The, yeah. the babe in the manger is so very significant because, first of all, uh, I, I pointed out in what I preached last week, the life of Jesus begins like the life of David ends. Yeah. Think about it. David is weak and frail mm-hmm. and cold, and a virgin warms him. Well, Jesus' yeah. life begins exactly that way. He's yeah. You don't yeah. get weaker than a human baby. A, a, a newborn can do absolutely nothing for mm-hmm. himself. And she, what? She wraps him in swaddling cloths, lays him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. And this, this tells us Jesus comes as frail as we are in his flesh. But there's one big difference. He's without sin. That's right. And he spends roughly the first 30 years of his life demonstrating that he's totally obedient. He he works apparently with his father. He's the, the, the son of this techne. It's often translated carpenter. Uh, it's a worker. And, uh, you know, he, he never does anything outside of God's law, God's will. He's totally obedient. And then once he's demonstrated that, he says, okay, now it's time to begin the ministry. And his ministry is to accomplish all that the Old Testament prophesied. He's going to accomplish the redemption of his people. And so to do that, he has to, he's going to fulfill the signs of the kingdom. You know, as he says here, here's what my ministry is about. And he defines himself. Remember later uh, in his ministry, when, when John the Baptist is in prison, and Jesus is sort of not acting like they expected the Messiah to act. It's like John had prophesied uh, when he preached. He said, he, one who comes after me, will baptize you in the spirit and in fire. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus comes, and he's doing this healing. Mm-hmm. He, he's, he's feeding the 5,000, all these things, but there's yeah. no sense of judgment in him yet. There's no baptism of fire yet. Yeah. And so John says, are you the one, or should we look for another? What does Jesus answer? He says, you go tell John what you see in here, that. And he gives him the signs of the kingdom. The Old Testament said when the Messiah comes, he's going to heal the lame. He's going to to uh, give recovery of sight to the blind. Yes. He's going to raise the dead. Jesus says, you go tell John that's that's who I am. That's what I'm doing. And so you you understand their confusion because when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come doing all these things universally. Yeah. And cosmically, they were local. They were somewhat sporadic. Uh, they were not yet complete, but they were a foretaste of what the, the future kingdom is going to be. This is why we talk about the already, not yet, that Jesus brings the kingdom to those who will receive it. Yeah. One day he's going to come back. He's going to bring it to the whole world. He's going to establish his reign of righteousness, judging those that are not his followers and including those that are in his reign. So the babe in a manger is just the beginning of the story. And when we celebrate Christmas, we need to make sure that we're celebrating the whole story, not merely the baby in the manger, but what that signifies that the Christ has come. Herschel, we know that Christ came to rescue us from sin. Uh, He calls us to follow him, to live at peace, to worship regularly in Christian community. Uh, And we call this community the church. Uh, But in our post-Christian age, even here in Kentucky, we're in the Bible Belt. 
the church, unfortunately, has been relegated as a second of secondary importance. And we've seen this in other states, New York, California, Illinois, where governors are ordering churches to close during the height of the pandemic. We saw this back in the spring and early summer, but even here in Kentucky, we saw Governor Bashir uh, tell churches that they should not meet in person. He put them in the non-essential category. And you and I, by the way, of course, testified before a legislative committee back in the summer about some of the overstep, the overreach of the government into the realm of the church and into the realm of our constitutional freedoms. Uh, There's two things here. One is, how do we as Christians properly respond when government oversteps its authority? Yeah, you know, there's a real challenge because uh, there's a tension. We just need to admit that there there's a tension here uh, in the scriptures, in the sense that if the government uh, is, or if anyone is compelling me to do something that is inconvenient or I don't like it, well, you know what Jesus said? He said, if someone compels you to go them a mile, you go too. So on the one hand, if it's a matter, if our objection is about me and my convenience and comfort then frankly, we should be willing to give that up and surrender that. But when the government tells us that we have to do something that is contrary to Scripture, okay, that's when we have to say, I will obey God rather than man, like uh, you find the apostles doing in the book of Acts, even if it cost us. So I have no problem if the government said, you know, we, the reality is we could have a pandemic much worse than this one that we've been through. This could still happen. And if the government said, everyone needs to stay home, we need to shut everything down and, and, uh, and isolate this. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are, we need you to stay home. Okay, I, I get that. But if the government is saying, we want to close churches and keep casinos open, okay, now I have a problem. Uh, because now you've told me that I can't do what the scripture says, which is not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When there are other things that are not a constitutional right, nobody has a constitutional right to gamble. We have a constitutional right to worship the Lord. Uh, whatever God you serve, you are you get to serve Him according to the United States Constitution. So that's when I think we need to stand up and say respectfully. You know, I, I want to be careful. I don't ever want to seem belligerent just for the sake of defiance. I'm not against this governor. I'm not against public health. Uh, I, I, but I just want there to be honesty, and I want there to be a, basically a sane look at really what what is hurtful and what is not. And if you know, I, I looked at recently when the governor asked churches to shut down again. I went to the the website of the Red Mile, uh, you know, in Lexington, which is now just basically a casino. Their hours, the, the Sunday, the churches were not supposed to meet. Their hours began at 10 in the morning and ended at 4 a.m. the next morning. And they can sit there and play slots all day long. And I, I, that makes no sense to me. You're telling me it's more dangerous for people to come to church than it is to sit there in a, in a gambling parlor for hours upon hours. What, eight, what is that, 18 hours or something like that? It's a long day. <laughs> it's a long day. So I'm just saying... No, let's have one set of rules. During the first shutdown, you chose to abide by that, along with many churches. Maybe I think most. Uh, yeah, I would say ninety-nine percent of the churches in Kentucky did because everything was shut down. You know, again, there wasn't a pick and choose then. Uh, it was 
uh, pretty much, you know, I will point out liquor stores were deemed essential and churches were non essential. That was the number of pain, I guess. Maybe yeah. that was her thinking. Yeah, no, but, right. <laughs> but uh, that, that was strange. But, but as far as gathering, there was nothing where people could gather. In fact, I, I remember, Richard, I got called by a reporter on uh, the 12th, I think, no, the 10th of, of March. I was sitting at a restaurant in Louisville with a bunch of other faculty members and a, a guest uh, preacher. And a reporter called me and said, are you going to have church Sunday? Uh, or, and I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the governor's asked churches not to meet. I said, are you serious? And I, here was my answer. I said, when they ask, the, when they tell the NCAA that they can't have the, sweet, or the March Madness and they tell the high school boys that they can't have Sweet 16, call me back. But until that happens, we're going to have church. Well, within two days, all that happened. So, okay, I got it. And most churches did. This thing is, we simply didn't know it was uncharted waters. And so we were willing, we were willing to do what we needed to do because we realized this thing could be very bad. You didn't know the death rate or anything at that point. That's right. We didn't know a lot. You wanted to be a good community member, a good neighbor. You didn't want to be known as a spreader of COVID-19. Uh, but, and so, so that changed, though, as we learned more about the virus, who was vulnerable, how it was spread. We saw things open up. Uh, then, then of course, not too long ago, we saw the numbers spike. And then the governor, again, recommended that churches close. He realized he could not order churches to be closed for in-person services because of a federal court ruling that said, look, you have no authority, Governor Bashir, to do that. That violates First Amendment freedoms. But you chose to remain open uh, during this second recommendation by the governor. Yeah, we did, except for the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which I— I think that was a wise thing. I realized people are going to gather on Thanksgiving and be together. And, you know, three days later, uh, the, the, the COVID, if you study it, the first five days of exposure when you are most contagious. And so I thought, okay, let's not take a, a, a chance. We can, we can go online for that one week and keep our people safe and still worship. And it's not to, to do it for one week is not a major disruption. Uh, but, so the, I just point that out to say we're doing we're making decisions based on the safety of our people. We're not we're neither trying to to uh, be so overly compliant that we question nothing, nor are we trying to be defiant and not making good decisions. And and, and I think the governor can trust pastors and churches to do that. I think so, too. You've you've demonstrated how well it can be done. I believe other churches have done a good job. Uh, trying to mitigate uh, the spread of, of coronavirus. Herschel, uh, I want to go into this other idea that churches, by, by some leaders, including Governor Bashir, have been considered non-essential, uh, not on the same plane of certain businesses, certainly not on the same plane of, as you mentioned, casino parlors, uh, liquor stores have remained open, abortion centers have remained open. Uh, Let's talk about the essential nature of a church. They're not merely a business, are they? No. Yeah, in fact, uh, we're, we're not a business. We are a, an organic entity. We are a body. We are the body of Christ. And uh, we need spiritual sustenance. Believers in Christ need to feed on the word of the Lord. We need to be in each other's presence to, as the, the Bible says, to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable. That body life is absolutely essential. I mean, I have, I have people in this church that their family is deceased or 
there alone, we have people that have been lifelong singles, and we have widows, and this is their family. And especially during the time of the lockdown was so incredibly difficult. And, you know, as soon as we could come out of that so we could minister to them and and have a place for them to come and worship and to hear the music of the Lord and to sit under the preaching of the word as as one body, you know, we wanted that to happen. It it is it is essential. By the way, did you see just this week an article came out saying that the only subgroup in America whose mental health improved I did. That. I did. improved during COVID-19 were ch- people who go to church regularly. I am, I am not a denier. I know COVID is real. I've lost friends uh, just this week, uh, lost a, a friend to COVID-19. Uh, and a, a, another pastor here in town right now, his, He's got a lot of family members that are in the hospital, and they're they're suffering. So I'm not a denier, and I think this thing needs to be taken seriously. We need to do everything we can reasonably do, but it's not the only need in our culture and in our society, and it's not the only danger. And churches are really an essential part of helping people. For one thing, here at Buck Run, I can't tell you how many hundreds or thousands of food baskets we give away all year long, every year. People come in. We cooperate with other churches here in Frankfurt in an organization, and we we supply a lot of needs. Those people are still hungry during COVID nineteen. They still have needs, and we have to meet those needs. We have to do those things. And so, again, there has to be a way to say, okay, you folks figure out a way to safely do that. We trust you. We know you're on the same team we are, and uh, just please be very very careful physically, but continue to do the work that you must do spiritually. If COVID indeed is increasing the death rate, that just means more people need to hear the gospel because hell is real. I mean, that we, we can't lose sight of that, that the judgment of God on sin is real. It is eternal. And that is all the more reason the churches need to be finding ways to now creatively share the gospel, whether it's Zoom, whether, you know, it's uh Facebook uh, broadcast, whatever we can do, we, we've got to get the word out to people that uh, there is a way for you to be forgiven of your sin and to have a personal relationship with God and to be free from the penalty of sin and the fear of death. And we, we can't back down on that. Herschel, people are asking big questions in a time when our lives are disrupted, when our routines are no more People ask big questions. What's going on? What, what's going to happen to me? And then eternal questions. Where am I going to end up? And you just pointed out a big reality that those separated from God who have not repented uh, and asked Christ to forgive their sins and uh, those who stay in their sins, they're going to be separated from God for eternity. That's pretty serious. But at this moment, we have serious things going on with COVID, but at this moment, uh, we have opportunities in the church as well. That's right. We need to use the reality of the situation we're in to point people to the gospel uh, and what Christ has done, but also the reality of death. <clears throat> How could, you know, with people around us dying of this, it, it, it is a reminder that we're mortal. And even if COVID doesn't get us, something is going to get us. We all, you know, there's going to be a funeral for every one of us. The death rate in Franklin County is 100%. Everybody's going to die. And we have to prepare people for that reality, not in a way of fear, but 
through the means of the gospel, they can have a uh, forgiveness of their sins and a relationship with God and eternal life. And it makes us not live recklessly, but joyfully. And that, that is what I want my life to reflect every day. And Herschel, that's a good word. I want to bring this full circle as we come to a close. Uh, we're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the incarnation of God himself come in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. And when he came, he came to deliver us from sin. He came to fight back against the effects of the fall, to establish righteousness, to bring light into the darkness. Uh, that's good news. He, he, he came to bring us hope. He came to bring us out of our futility, to uh, give us a new path and a new, new life. And when you come to faith in Christ, and I know we're all on different paths. God gets a hold of us in different ways. But when you come to faith in Christ and begin walking with him, your life will radically change. And uh, I would say that when a large number of people come to faith in Christ, then that community changes. When a nation, uh, when a large number of people in that nation have come to faith and begin living out the gospel, the implications of the gospel, that nation changes. Yeah, absolutely it does. Let me ask you a question. If you were walking down the street and you saw a group of young men in their 20s and they were walking toward you alone. You're alone on the street. It's late at night. Would you feel better knowing that they've just come from a Bible study? Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, and uh, we, it changes people. the The gospel changes people, and we say, "Oh, these guys are just coming from a Bible study." Immediately, you feel, "Oh, what a relief!" Because you know the gospel changes them. And that's what we want to see happen. We want to see the gospel take root in lives, in communities. We want to see churches preaching it, sharing it, living it out in every way possible. Amen. Herschel, we could go on and talk and do probably a couple of programs, but we are out of time for this one. I really appreciate you joining us and sharing, uh, sharing your time. Um, God bless you, and may you and your family have a great Christmas. Well, thank you. You too. Merry Christmas to all your, your listeners. It's just a joy always to be with you.